The world of ebooks is like the American West, full of wide open spaces, and the publishers who have settled the territory number many more than five. Names like Open Road, Diversion, and Brown Girls Books dot the map. Welcome to Copyright Clearance in this podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Even as ebook sales slow and fall for the big five publishers, independents of all sizes and niches say they continue to enjoy growth. What makes the difference? For some answers, we welcome back Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins Beyond the Book every Friday with the latest from the book publishing trade. And good to talk to you, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, we have talked a great deal in the last few months about declining ebook sales, but in Monday's issue of Publishers Weekly, uh, there's a different take on ebooks and the direction they're taking. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so indeed, we have been talking quite a bit about declining ebook sales at the larger trade houses, uh, but in Monday's issue, our intrepid reporter Calvin Reed reports that a number of independent digital upstart publishers are continuing to see their ebook sales grow. Uh, now, we all know about self-publishing. And it seems like whenever we dare mention that ebook sales are declining, the quick response is that, well, not if you count self-publishing. And you know that's really kind of the problem here is that we reliably cannot count self-publishing sales yet, despite the best efforts of the author earnings website, for example, and their data tracker, who's known as Data Guy. Uh, it's just very difficult to estimate self-publishing and specifically Amazon sales. But there's this, really this whole other section of ebooks that we've yet to really explore, and that's uh, these independent publishers. So Calvin Reed went out and had discussions with a number of these ventures. Uh, they include upstarts like Brown Girl Books, Polis Books, the more mature ebook ventures that we've talked about before, such as Open Road, there's Diversion Books, and, and firms like Start Media and the Start Publishing Division. All these publishers that Calvin spoke to cited continuing growth in their ebook sales. In an interview at Open Road, CEO Jane Friedman and her president, Paul Slavin, said ebook sales for the first quarter quarter of this year were actually fine. They were actually up a little bit. And Friedman, who's the former CEO of HarperCollins, of course, emphasized that the success they're seeing is due largely to the business model that Open Road uses. They are focused very intently on backlist books with the occasional new release, but that makes a big difference in how they actually sell ebooks compared to the larger trade houses, which focus primarily on frontlist publishing. And of course, there's a lot of print publishing in there too. In fact, that's still pretty much their main moneymaker. Uh, is of course print. So Open Road, they release about 200 ebooks a month. And they focus on the backlist of 2,000 authors, I think they have now. We're talking about the Pearl Bucks and the Pat Conroys of the world. Uh, I think they have more than 10,000 titles. And they hope to release you know, a big chunk more in 2016. Even though they're focusing on backlist books, the way they succeed is by focusing on the future. And that future is all of the things that digital offers them in terms of marketing. We're talking about social media and promotional e-newsletters and these genre-focused communities online. So you can check out some of the secrets that they're using there for success in Monday's issue. But you know, I'll leave you with uh, one last thing that struck me in the article from Jane Friedman, who told PW that selling ebooks isn't magic. And like we've discussed often on this show, price actually plays a pretty big role there. So, you know, suffice it to say the ebook world goes beyond the big five on one end and self-publishers on the other. 
Well, certainly when it comes to digitized books, digital books, uh, on Monday, we may be able to close a book on the very first effort to do that, or certainly one of the first most prominent efforts. That was the so-called Google Books case, uh, the long-running court battle between the Authors Guild and Google. And we'll find out where that will take us to the Supreme Court or not on Monday. Yeah, I can't believe this is finally happening. You and I have been talking about this case for over 10 years now. And, uh, you know, it's finally set for its conference before the Supreme Court on April Fool's Day, um, on Friday. And we will know Monday morning whether or not the case is going to continue, whether the court's going to take it and hear it, or whether it's going to be over. Now, just a few reminders for our listener. I don't think they should worry much about the fact that there's only eight justices on the bench right now. It only takes four justices for cert to be granted. So split decision is really not a factor here. And of course, you know, many people like to speculate about how Antonin Scalia might have voted here, but I'm just going to point out that SCOTUS hasn't heard a fair use case in 20 years or more. So I think any arguments you might make about fair use in the digital age probably are going to be speculation at this point, given that court really hasn't taken anything in over two decades. All right. Well, speculation then is the uh, uh, what we're going to do next, I guess, because I'm going to ask you to speculate. And, and I know you've given us some interesting thoughts on this case. In the past, you certainly have pointed out how difficult a road it has been for the Authors Guild. What do you think is going to happen next? Well, I, I think two things. I think on its face, the case has really been a loser sort of every step of the way. And even its parallel case, the Hathi Trust also was a loser, not to channel my inner Donald Trump here, but they both, you know, they've not been very, very successful. We'll say that both district decisions were emphatic and both the appeals court decisions were also pretty emphatic and they were both unanimous. But that said, Paul Smith, the lawyer for the Authors Guild, filed a really masterful brief in the case. Uh, and he raised a number of issues that are going to be before the court. So I'll just put it this way when it comes to predictions. I was 100% confident in the Apple case that that was going to be declined by the court, despite that being a, there, there being a dissenting judge at the appeals court in the Apple case and lots of media speculation that it was going to be overturned and uh, talk about the complications of antitrust. To me, the facts in that case were just so crystal clear that I was sure that the Apple case was not going to be taken by the court. But I'm not so sure about this case, because one of the key issues here to me is a little more involved, and that is, what is transformative use as it pertains to fair use in the digital age? Now, I personally think the courts have articulated that standard pretty clearly and pretty well. But I could see the Supreme Court actually wanting an explicit say on what is transformative use going forward. But I won't disappoint you. I will put myself out there on a limb a little bit here. And one of the things that I think is going to augur against the court wanting to take this case beyond the facts of the case is that the AG brief, the Authors Guild brief, I should say, really sort of points out that Congress needs to set the policy here, that Congress really needs to step up and work out where this is all going in the future. And I think with the way Congress is currently functioning, especially with Congress currently refusing to meet with an obviously well-regarded candidate for the Supreme Court, I'm not sure that right now is the best time to play the Congress card for the author's guilt. You know, probably not, but certainly that's where copyright always does wind up eventually. It's wound up in the courts recently only because Congress has been so adamantly disinterested. If that ever changes, then it's back where it belongs. And finally, we'll look forward to talking with you next week. 
your bags are packed and you're traveling for a while. Uh, first, Denver next week for the Public Library Association meeting, and then on to London, where I'll meet up with you. And in Monday's issue, you have yet another library conference to talk about the Texas Library Association, uh, and they'll be meeting soon. Tell us about that. My bags are packed, and I won't be back in New York until around mid-April. Next week after I get back, uh, the April 21st, I'm off to Houston for the Texas Library Association meeting. And in Monday's issue, you can read a preview of the TLA meeting, which I think is without question, the most popular library conference in the nation, at least in terms of uh, statewide conferences. Now, technically, it's a state association, but like the saying goes, everything is bigger in Texas. And the Texas Library Association meeting is actually on par with shows like the uh, American Library Association's Midwinter Meeting and the Public Library Association meeting, where I'm going to be uh, next week in Denver, Colorado. TLA usually brings in over 7,000 attendees, tons of vendors, over 500 vendors, and there's a packed program, over 400 panels and author sessions, and a huge exhibit floor. And you can check out our preview of TLA in Monday's issue, and you can check out uh, my reporting from the Public Library Association meeting next week on the PW website. And then, of course, I look forward to seeing you in London, Chris, for the London Book Fair, which starts on April 12th. Indeed. Oh, to be in England now that April's there. (laughs) As the poet said, and certainly if any of the listeners uh, for the podcast uh, will be attending the London Book Fair, uh, we certainly invite you to join us at a couple of Copyright Clearance Center events on on Tuesday, uh, the 12th of April at 4 p.m. We have a program on open access that I will moderate the next wave of open access. And then on Thursday in the morning at 1130, a program called The Data Dilemma that will look at data and its impact on publishing from a variety of angles. And here's a statistic to uh, ponder as we leave people today. Of all the digital output in the world, 90% of it was created in just the last two years. So this new data is definitely sort of weighing in on the minds of publishers, large and small. And we'll hope to at least raise some questions and maybe offer some suggestions for directions at that program called The Data Dilemma. And with that, I want to thank you, Andrew Albany, Senior Writer of Publishers Weekly, for joining us, as you do every week. So great to talk to you, and we'll talk to you again next Friday. My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights licensing technology and content workflow organization. At CCC, we serve more than 35,000 customers and 15,000 copyright holders worldwide, managing over 950 million rights from the world's most sought-after journals, books, blogs, movies, and more. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. 